Remember, you can stay up to date on the latest news with the Irish Independent WhatsApp channel. Shachtan, an Indo Askeliga. Time in Mon Eruk the end of Chacht Erechor. Agasuligum a Makan Shaw, Gurfeder Echor, Inuik Kart, Len of Winterfin. Skilti, Fis, Turmi. Tashe Dochretche, Nachvetok, Ara, Igornamion, and Kestin Echo. Vientolum again omgrev or corn rachtum. Yatakshatorin Graven or Corson, Elistuhalagus Gimina Fracht, Gorokligs or Dukashin Echor. Only Venown, Thordorakshin. Shachten. Find us on all the usual podcast platforms. Hello and you're welcome to The Big Tech Show with me, Adrian Weckler, the tech editor of the Irish and the Sunday Independent. This week we're coming to you in association with PwC, Pricewaterhouse Coopers. We're going to be looking at a number of things. We're going to look at the Apple launch of the MacBook Air and the iPad Pro, which I was at last week. We'll take a, have a quick preview of the Web Summit, which is coming up next week. We might look at Google's walkout here in Dublin and around the world. And then we'll probably have a bit of time to discuss the Omni Shambles. That is the national broadband plan. I'm joined in studio today by Steve Dempsey, who's head of product with Independent News and Media and also a columnist with the Sunday Independent Business section, and Michael Cogley, who's a business correspondent with the Sunday Independent. Um, guys, I'm going to talk about the Apple launch first because I was there in New York, in Brooklyn. Very rare for Apple to have a launch outside of California. They launched a couple of things, a new iPad Pro, a new a MacBook Air, and a new Mac Mini. Now, I had a hands-on with all three devices. I will be reviewing them um, fairly soon. Um, Michael, you are actually an Apple user. You're an iPhone and an iOS user, aren't you? Yes, I am indeed. And you, we were talking before the show, and you kind of liked the look of the iPad. But are you, are you, part of this conversation is where laptops are going in general. Like, are we mm. going to stay with the laptop format or are we going to move more into a tablet iPad format? I believe we're long term, we're headed more toward the iPad, but I think I'd be in a minority. What, what do you think about that? Yeah, I mean, I think you could you could definitely be right at some point down the line in the future. But I actually have at multiple points in my life had both an iPad and a MacBook Pro mm. throughout. And it's been so hard to say, do you know what? I don't need this MacBook Pro anymore. I'm going to carry on my life with an iPad. Right. The new ones look very, very powerful. And, you know, they may they may bridge that gap even closer. Mm. But I just I, I'd say it could be another five years before I say no to my MacBook Pro, I sell it and I'm like, Grant, I don't need that anymore. Do you know what? I've already arrived at that point. So I have a MacBook Pro that I bought in 2015. It's a 2015 model, which a lot of people talk about as their ideal model. And I'd say I use it once every three weeks. I have the current 10.5 iPad Pro, and that's what I do absolutely everything on, mm. including work, um, uh, leisure stuff photo editing, video editing. Mm. I do the whole thing on that um, iPad Pro. So I am kind of bought into the ecosystem. Um, I am looking forward to the new one, particularly because they've increased the size of the screen. So that, mm. I mean, we should recap what Apple has done here to the iPad Pro. They've taken away the home button, the Touch ID fingerprint button, and they've replaced it with Face ID, which 
we know from the iPhone X and the iPhone XS and XR uh, phones. They've also replaced the Lightning Charger Connect cable with USB-C, which they call Thunderbolt, which has been standard on Android phones now mm. for um, the last two years. And because they took away the home button, the display is actually bigger. It's an 11-inch display rather than a 10.5-inch uh, display. Um, the USB-C thing, uh, I, again, quite like, because it means you, you can now connect things directly to it, like a camera or um, other hardware. And they showed mm. a lot of that stuff off. Um, I am wondering, though, does this mean that Apple is slowly starting to sunset the lightning connector cable potentially for its iPhones next year? That That is something yeah. that I think could happen. It, it's it's funny. I think we had this conversation before as mm. well where they're using a port. Like if that was the case and they did decide to get rid of lightning for their phones, they're then switching across to a port that was used by others. And like, mm. what was it the 32 pin that was before this? Yep. Was it 32 pin? Disastrous cable for many, many reasons. Yep. And then they went to lightning. So the idea of them kind of going into USB-C. I know that why they're doing it for their laptops, but in order to move into the phone mm. um, would be quite interesting. Mm. Uh, but even the changes that you've made, you've rattled off there for the iPad Pro, mm -hmm. the bezel-less screen and all that kind of stuff, mm -hmm. it almost blurs the lines between the MacBook and the iPad even further. And the actual screen on that new iPad, the mm. actual way it looks, mm. it's almost as if you just lifted a MacBook Pro screen or a MacBook Air screen because they have that black... Um, shiny finish yeah. all around with no bezel or no logo on it or anything like that. Um, See, this is where I think they're going and shameless name drop alert, but the last <laughs> time I interviewed Tim Cook, I asked him specifically whether he thought uh, we were heading towards a future integrated with iOS and macOS, iPad and MacBook. And he said at the time, no, and this was two years ago, he said no because he said it would lead to a compromised experience on both machines. But I think that the way that they are designing the new iPads shows that they believe that the iPad is probably at least a parallel mm. mainstream computer for a lot of people. Um, actually, they brought up some interesting statistics. Uh, they said that in the last 12 months, the iPad has, sold, has outsold every single laptop in the world. So, I mean, people often wonder, oh, the iPad, that was kind of a... 2011 2012 thing was oh yeah mm. it's okay for watching netflix or for giving it to your kids actually they they've out the ipad has outsold every single laptop in the world mm. which to me if you travel a lot and you go through airports you see a lot of business people what they're using are ipads yeah they are they um, are for the most part and one of the things i do like about the new ipad pro and i did have a, an in-depth hands-on with it, and I will have an in-depth review uh, next week on it as well because I'm I'm getting one. Um, is their new Folio smart keyboard case is a lot more solid than the last one, which means that you can actually use it uh, on your on your actual lap. So I don't know. I think I just have a theory. I've written about this a lot before that younger people in particular are more used to dealing with their phone as their primary computer, and and younger people. I say younger people. I mean it's like people of all ages now. And I think that we're heading toward a future where that is going to be our main computer. Do you have any thoughts on this, Steve? Yeah, I think I think Apple kind of knows what you mm. just said, basically. And if you remember the last marketing campaign for the iPad, there was a little girl lying in the grass playing in her iPad. And somebody mm. says, what are you doing? You're on your computer. And she says, what's a computer? And yep. it's a very nice kind of way of, of, of showing that kind of generational gap. Yeah. Um, maybe I'm old and curmudgeonly. I've tried on two different occasions to work more on an iPad and I failed spectacularly. It could be a psychological hang up. I just 
can't get over whatever it is about the fact that it's slightly different. It doesn't feel like a workstation to me. Okay. You've Why obviously not? jumped Can over I that. Just... I don't know. I, okay. like I, if I could quantify it, I don't know. Maybe it's a tactile mm. thing. I always find myself, if I need to do something a bit more in-depth that requires mm. more thoughtful work, mm. like if I need to work mm. on spreadsheets mm. or if I need to actually spend time doing those kind of difficult emails that you need to write that need to be mm. particularly well crafted or if you need to do a bit of research and you're mm. you're looking at multiple sources I always want to go back to I have a MacBook Air as my I mean one device. of the things about the MacBooks and, and PCs in general is I have found that at, for certain tasks they are still quicker they multitask quicker so yeah. you can have several yeah. windows open and it's just quicker to get between things and yeah. it's quicker doing things like you know, copying and pasting. Not that we ever do that as journalists, but if you were ever to do like for a presentation, for yep. example, mm. it's quicker to do things like that. What I have found is with the uh, iOS 12 and the newer versions of the mobile OSs, same on Android as well, that it is getting quicker to do that. Now, it's not quite there with mm. Mac OS and with Windows yet, but it's for me, it's not that far off. And I suppose for me, the other benefits outweigh. So, it's so much lighter and easier and quicker to start up that for me, I don't never know when I'm going to need to use it. And um, so for me, it would be the kitchen table or it would be on the couch or it would be in a cafe or it would be on my desk in work as a second screen. Mm. And it's just much easier to. I think to that's use. actually the, the, uh, one of the key points as well. And I think why I always find that I revert back to something a bit more kind of traditional yeah. would be it's at set times when you know you're going to work. Yeah. So do you know what? I know that like in the mornings I get a train. When mm -hmm. I get on the train, I'm going to like open up my laptop and I'm going to start working. What you're describing almost is a kind of a more casual use and, and maybe your, your relationship at work is more fluid than mine is. And actually you're able to What do to you mean by that? <laughs> maybe you're more of a workaholic is really what I'm getting at. You can actually just sit down at your kitchen table and start working. Whereas I'm in yeah. my mind, it's like, no, there's set times when I work. I will work on the train. I will work really? when I'm at my desk. I will work when there's no chaos around me and children have been put to bed and things like yeah. that. Um, so Wow. That's, um, I, I mean, uh, that's an entirely different podcast. Yeah, I, think it's, I think it's psychology. I think actually what, what I think what, what you're what you're getting at is, is right we are moving towards a time when there should be no difference i mean they should mm. be similarly powerful and it's just about portability and preference and in my mind mm -hmm. i want I, when i feel like i'm going to work i'm going to work. work i don't have a relationship yeah. at work at the moment where i just hey i'm sitting at the kitchen table let's check some emails. apple i'll uh, use my phone for that apple mm -hmm. pulled up this other statistic during the keynote saying that the new ipad pro is uh, more powerful than 92% of laptops on the market. And I kind of believe that, um, you know, in, in just in, in the hands-on that I got. We also got a really nice demo from a senior executive at Adobe, and he was showing us the new Lightroom and Photoshop apps. And you really need an awful lot of firepower to, mm. yeah. you know, to, to, to use uh, those. I mean, we should mention also they did launch a new MacBook Air. Mm. Uh, a brand, the first new MacBook Air they've launched in three to four years, I think. Long and they, what they added was a Touch ID fingerprint sensor on that, which I think is going to be really useful. Mm. Um, and they also, uh, what else do they do with that? Uh, it only has two USB-C uh, ports on it. There was something else. That they just beefed it up under the hood as well. Mm. Um, 1.5 terabytes of storage. The same controversial butterfly keyboard that a lot of people don't like on, on the MacBook Pro. I'm actually Pro. on the, the side of, of the people that actually do like it. Really? Really. Like oh. it's, uh, and it's a really weird like uh, to have, but it's actually the sound the keyboard makes. It's almost typewriter-esque. Yeah. Um, and, but I'd say for, I haven't done much in the line of intense work on one, but I, I really like those keyboards when they came out first, but it was a product line that was in dire need of... Um, yeah. 
of kind of a, a revamp entirely. Well, it was almost seemed like they were going to retire the MacBook yeah. Airs and just go with the MacBook Pro, and maybe that's what the goal was. Let's see what adoption is like, and I'm yeah. sure they're doing some hard. See, the thing with Apple is when they commit to something, they always commit for you know three to five years at least, and that's partly to give developers a chance mm. to develop things for it. But there was a, an inflection point about two years ago when iPad sales were declining quite dramatically, and they could have said, look. If it was another type of manufacturer, I think they might have said, look, this just, you know, it, we had our moment. We sold, you know, 100 million of these things. Now they're not as popular. Let's just focus on the iPhone and the, and the laptops. But they said, no, 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 we believe in this in the long term. And now iPad sales are rising again, you know. Mm. I thought uh, tablet sales were declining overall. Tablet sales are, but okay. iPad sales okay. are rising. So basically the, the tablet market is kind of insane. I mean, Apple dominates it to such a degree that, I mean, Samsung has a new premium tablet out, things the uh, Tab S4. I've um, played with it. It's decent. But I'd say sales of iPads are probably 10 to 1, okay. um, uh, you know, at the same price point. When you think of it, a pro tablet, the iPad Pro isn't competing with Android tablets. It's competing with the Microsoft Surface, which mm. is essentially a laptop mm. because it's Windows, which is not a touch uh, uh, OS. It's not. It, it, it's beautifully designed. The Surface is beautifully designed laptop, but it's not... Uh, a touch first interface. So there's a fundamental difference mm -hmm. there. Anyway, um, that's the stuff that Apple launched. They also launched a Mac Mini, which we haven't had a chance uh, to uh, to talk about. But uh, most of that stuff is on sale now. For my money, the iPad Pro, which, by the way, we didn't say goes up to one terabyte in storage, which is a little bit insane. And I also think that's what you should look for in next year's iPhone. I think they're going to bring out a one terabyte iPhone, which... It's funny because we all talked about cloud storage being the future, and mm. yet we're having these devices now with you know a terabyte um, of data on it. Okay, and we're now being joined by Donald Donovan, who's the business editor of the Irish Independent. He has uh, magically switched place with Michael Cogley um, uh, because we're going to talk about some uh, some weighty stuff now. Uh, not, that, not that Michael isn't weighty. He is. Michael's very light. He's he's not light. He's he's a correspondent. He's, li he's, don't you know? he's lighter than I am. Um, Alas. Let's talk about the Web Summit. Uh, Web Summit is on next week, and they've got some interesting speakers. Tony Blair's turning up at it. They've got a lot of political speakers again. Marguerite Vestager, uh, Antonio Guterres, the Secretary General of the UN, uh, is going to be there, as well as notable tech personalities. I'm interviewing Ben Silberman, who's the Pinterest co-founder and chief executive. Serena Hill Williams' husband is going to be there. Know who he is? Any guesses who... So his name is Alex Ohanian. He's the Reddit co-founder. But we know him as Serena Williams' husband. <laughs> <laughs> That's some nice uh, gender equality way Well, of do you know, because people often complain when uh, newspapers in particular, often they will caption something as saying, this person is such and such a person's wife. And people rightly complain about it. say, hang on, it's a person in their own right. So I thought, oh, well, let's just talk about Serena Williams' husband, you know. Even though he's, you know, he has achieved quite a lot. I mean, Reddit is not an insubstantial uh, thing. Anyway, here's a question for you. Guess how much the most expensive Web Summit ticket is. I only found this out an hour ago. Just have a guess. 15 grand. 15 grand. Okay. Donald? 20 grand. 25 grand. Wow. And what do you get for that? Okay, I'm going to tell you. I'm glad you asked, Donald. I'm going to tell you what you get for it. So, for 25 grand... 
So it's 1,000 euro, they're all gone. There's still tickets left for sale. It's 1,500 euro is the standard late ticket. There's an executive ticket for five grand. Now for the chairperson ticket, you basically get access to everything everybody else gets, but you also get speaker's lounge access for three days. So you're spending an extra 20 grand for speaker's lounge access. Now, I have speaker's lounge access for free. <laughs> <laughs> so if anybody wants to, you know, uh, do deal Why don't with you me, just live blog what it's like at as I was speaker's lounge and just anyone can save I'm their just going to put on a pair of snap glasses. What do they call them? Snap glasses. Yep. And uh, I'll just walk around and live. People and and I'll, I'll take suggestions, you know, uh, for questions. But presumably, the what you're paying for is the opportunity to sidle up to people and cut lucrative deals. There well, absolutely. So let's say if there was, I don't know, if there was a particular Saudi interest who kind of wanted to meet someone like Tony Blair. He's known for getting involved with some on the fringe regimes, isn't he? You know, if Tony's there, maybe. He's, isn't he the, uh, the European envoy to the Middle East? Is Tony Blair? I think he is. I know he has history with, it was a Qatar, was it? Uh, I think he's done business for Qatar, but I think, yeah. I think he, he regularly annoys the Guardian anyway. So I'm presuming it's something uh, along those lines. Anyway, um, that's how much twenty five. So that's grand. it. You just get access to a room where they sell or they give out free nice donuts and stuff, and you can sidle up to Saudi princes and ask for money. Yeah, well, the thing about the Websum and the speakers lounge is, to be fair, they all do hang out there. So it was the same in Dublin. Um, and by the way, the only reason I have access to it is that I usually. Uh, do a fireside or present or something on one of the stages and when you do that you get a speaker's badge and when you get a speaker's badge you get to go so there are two different rooms there's the media hangout where the about there's probably about four or five hundred people there um, and that's pretty decent you get free coffee and there's biscuits uh, in the speaker's lounge there's smoked salmon there's salad there's wine beer you know there's baristas um, and they all do hang out there I mean uh, last year, I was sitting beside a guy called Triple H, who is a, uh, a big wrestler, if uh, anyone you know uh, in, in the wrestling world. Who else was there? I mean, th they, they literally all do sort of hang out there. So obviously, the Web Summit have decided now to sell access uh, to that. Um, I'm just wondering what we think the value of the Web Summit is at this point. Um, I can give you my two cents of why I think it's worth going to, because I am going to. And... For me, it's about networking. So the people that I end up bumping into and meeting there, like I'm going to go there and I'll probably get three or four podcasts with high end, like, like for example, Ben Silverman, chief executive, co-founder of Pinterest. I mean, there's no other way that I would really meet that guy. I could put in an interview and I might get it, but I'm going to meet him and talk to him. And um, there, there are other people as well. I'm meeting a lot of other people like that. And I suspect that's why people go to that because they know that other people are going. That's why speakers go. I mean, and that, yeah. and that I think is true of, you know, the World Economic Forum at Davos as mm -hmm. well. Why do whatever it is, 2,000 uh, uh, plutocrats and billionaires and, 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 and prime ministers yep. all converge in the one place? It's not necessarily to save the world. Mm. It's very convenient if you're in that world to meet 25 exactly. people over the course of, of yeah. two days instead of, you know, over the course of 25,000 miles. Yeah. Yeah, uh, or just endless conference calls, which are a pain and it feels like work. The difference, I suppose, is that if you go to Davos, you're in a, a little a bubble with, mm. with those people and, and there's a sort of a, a greater bubble with their hangers on. Mm. You're not paying to go to a, well, you, it's not cheap, but you're not you're not going to a conference as an attendee, right. which is what the Web Summit also does, presumably yeah. to be relevant to the people who are selling tickets. So the, mm. the Web Summit has to be more than a place where the speakers get to, to, to hang out. Uh, yeah, and I've often wondered about that because... 
like as a general attendee, so the basic ticket cost, it depends on what when you buy it and stuff. I think it starts at around three or 400 quid, like six months in advance or something. But even for that, my understanding is the people who are going, the majority of them are hoping to bump into people or, or do business. Like with all due respect to the speakers and the talks, because I sometimes get involved in one or two of them, they tend to be 20 minutes long. I, I, and some of them, like I've seen some from senior Facebook people, for example, they're really just the same PowerPoint they gave at some other gig, you know, a month ago. So I do wonder what attendees get out of from a general point of view. Um, I think and I suspect that people are just going, hoping to bump into people. And yet the main stage, they'll get a few thousand people looking at some, you know, fireside chat with Tony Blair. And I'm just like, like I don't, what would you... What would you hope to get out of that? I don't know. Um, is it still relevant to an Irish audience? I mean, I, my take is we're still interested because the founders are Irish, but it's not yeah, here anymore. Like, no, I'm going to get onto that. Do be people still go? Well, like if you're going to be on a flight there, will, mm -hmm. will there be a lot of people on the flight yeah, who is. aren't journalists going yeah, over to cover are, the website? There are. So the flights, the Aer Lingus flights, and I think Reiner flies there as well. They're just packed with um, Irish uh, tech uh, people uh, who, who are going over. I mean, I d see the word like to an Irish audience, not a hundred percent sure that that is a hundred percent relevant. Um, the word Irish there, because yeah. a lot of tech companies here and start they're they're trying to sell into the UK market or the European market. But, that but, would, but would we be talking about the Web Summit here today in Lisbon if the no. Web Summit hadn't started I, I, in Ireland? I wanted and to ask about that. Wasn't high profile. I don't. I don't think we would. I'm not yeah. sure because like. For example, you've got CES, which is a giant tech conference that happens in Las Vegas every January. I sort of go to it every second year. There's IFA in Berlin, which is a giant consumer tech show. We don't really talk about those things. We, if there's some big product announced, we, we, we talk, but we don't even talk about the conference yeah. you know, that it was launched at. And I wanted to get onto that about, so Paddy Cosgrave, we, we cannot separate the web summit from Paddy Cosgrave, can we? I mean, it's just, it's still, in Ireland, it's whenever like we talk about as journalists, the Web Summit, lingering in the back of our minds, 50% is, hmm, is there a Paddy Cosgrave angle here? Has he, has he said anything? Yeah. Is he, is he going to say anything? Is he weighing in on, on something? Uh, Some controversy of the day. And that was good for them on the way up as mm. they were rising as a brand. I wonder if he hasn't overshadowed it. Uh, mm. And I wonder this year, the only thing I really know about the, the Web Summit this year is that Marine Le Pen was invited and then uninvited. And yeah. that, that was a bit of a mess. And and that has nothing to do with technology, really, ultimately, unless she's, you know, using dodgy ads to sort of get to, to French voters in, mm -hmm. in, in, in some way. It was a, it was it was a controversy. It felt like controversy for controversy's mm -hmm. sake. It did what it did in terms of that. But but it, it to me, it, that has nothing to do with, you know, an industrial mm -hmm. or a trade conference that's happening in Lisbon. Yeah. What what is our view on Paddy Cosgrove? I feel that I am often a person who, maybe defending is not the bad word, but I, I, the right word, I often feel that I'm the person who um, is, oh God, I, I, I suppose I, I do defend the Web Summit in terms of, of what it is and, and because there's so many Irish companies that go there and who do business there that I sort of, I can see a kind of a value in it. But then, but then Paddy Cosgrave comes out and he's, he's, he'll, he'll weigh in on, on something controversial. At the moment, he seems to be obsessed with the property market in Ireland. And I had him on the podcast like six months ago. And I asked him all these questions. Why are you so into Why do you keep tweeting about this sort of stuff? And the, the best sense that I could get is that he's genuinely 
interested that he's like I don't think it actually serves him or the web so much to get involved in you know a few weeks ago he got involved in something where he was I think he was questioning the um uh he was questioning journalists he, he was he was seemed to be suggesting that journalists should disclose more when they're writing about something and of course there was a huge backlash and he got absolutely monstered uh, over it and he kind of he did seem to have personalized that I know he backed off about a, a, mm. a particular journalist which I, I thought was very unfair given yeah that, but but yeah yeah but I think the point he was getting certainly in the podcast that we had he did absolutely it was totally clear that he had to be in his bond about political journalists that he felt for whatever reason that political journalists get too close to ministers and government TDs and that that the the I suppose the the truth of the story that they're spun that they're spun essentially or that they're willing accomplices in putting a tint in a story in exchange for access down the line but I suppose you could walk into any pub in Dublin or Limerick or Cork or Ballydahab and someone in that pub will have a view on house prices and that uh, sure the media is uh, totally in hot government oh, those are not uh, yeah. positions that put you sort of you know uh, in the in the sort of the, the Nobel Prize category mm, for insight. Mm, mm. Oh, absolutely. And I mean, in that podcast, Paddy Cosgrove, I defended uh, journalists and said, "Listen, um, you know, you're t- you're g- this is a very kind of nuanced uh, area you're talking about here because there are all sorts of things. Like, for example, embargoes. We deal with embargoes all the time. An embargo for uh, any listeners who's not familiar with the term is when you get a press release or you get a piece of news." on the basis that it can't be published or broadcast before, I don't know, the next day, midnight the next day or something. Um, now, there would be a small number of people who, f- who feel that's unethical. That it's a conspiracy against the, conspiracy the, the reader. against yeah. the reader. Um, and that is an arguable point. You it could is argue an arguable that. point, yeah. And yeah. yet most of us do comply with embargoed press releases and embargoed news on the basis that it, A, where we will have that piece of news to expand upon for our readers and that if it's only a few hours or a day or whatever it is, that it it may not make much of a difference. By and large, I think we, we, we comply because it makes our lives a little bit easier, but also because on the basis that, I mean, we only comply with embargoes on the basis that we wouldn't have that information otherwise. Yeah, absolutely. You're so not going to get yeah, the information yeah, again if you start. Th- that's really why we comply yeah. with embargoes. To that extent, it's not really a conspiracy. And then, the reader, but I can see why you know and, why somebody and then might. the argument, the purest, at the ethicists' arguments against that is, well, that's tough. You're a journalist. You should do your job. You should try and get the information out. You shouldn't compromise. You know. Yes, of course. But as as journalists, our job is is both to go and get the information mm-hmm. and to inform the the, the reader, or the listener. And, yeah. And and they're not necessarily always the same thing. And also, if call a spade a spade. I mean. There is an issue here w- in terms of the market we're addressing. Um, we could completely uh, go out of our way to uh, ignore embargoes and be totally 100% pure on that strict point. I'm not sure that the reader or the listener would essentially um, appreciate that if, you know, they, 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 they certainly wouldn't reward it. And they would benefit if it meant that we had less information to impart. Yeah. 
Yeah. So, look, so the question you asked initially is like, we, we should be putting Paddy Cosgrave under the microscope, not mm. journalistic practices. And right. I think the actual issue is we've got a guy here who's set up an absolutely fabulous thing, has turned it into mm. a complete juggernaut. It's a fan, it's a commercial success. Mm. He's to be lauded and admired. Um, so there's, I'm sure there's a bit of begrudgery in some people giving out to the guy. That's just the way we are. Mm. But he's got a platform as well. He can shoot his mouth off. Uh, and you know what, if he wants to be Peter Casey 2.0 or Peter <laughs> Casey Light, that's fine. But well, I wonder, has Peter Casey not elbowed him away? Maybe. Uh, well, in the short term, certainly. And maybe he'll come back with more. And I think you're right. He does. He, is, he does care about stuff. But we don't have to listen to him. He's, he's yeah. like a guy who set up an event. Yeah, like, exactly. It doesn't, he, like, it, until he runs for office. Right. Whatever. He's, then he's why do like people get Donald so says. riled by him? Oh, maybe it's a begrudgery. I don't know. Yeah. Like I think there's an element of self righteousness which is grating. Uh, I think. Uh, but why, an element why do we pay which, attention to, which, to it though? A big, because he is. A, he's he, you know he has a public profile. He 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 benefited a lot, as I said, on you know as that business was being put together um, through pu public profile. Through do a little bit of controversy. Do we feel that he sort of owes the system a bit? That he's being a bit cheeky. That he's that he hasn't. That he's not paying his dues to to those of us who who actually helped him rise. No, I don't think so. That? I think he, he conveniently forgets how much the state helped him out uh, initially sometimes. But also, I think... That's the same I thing, though, I, isn't it? No, I mean, I wouldn't necessarily regard to that. That's just, you know, a reality. And lots of businesses are like that. Uh, but also, a lot of his positions aren't particularly thought through. So, you know, if you're going to be public about what your positions are, you really ought to think them through and, 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 and allow them to be interrogated. And he tends to just shoot off his, yeah, but uh, his mouth and, and then disappear, which is fine. Yeah, he's, he's, he's like, he, presumably, a lot of the time, it's like in uh, interviews or on Twitter or whatever, like you said, he's not thought through. He's not, it's not like he's the T-shirt or anything. Mm. Like people should just take it or leave it. It's yeah. what he thinks. It's what, it's what he, maybe it's not even what he thinks. It's what he's saying today. Or what he thinks at a point in time. Exactly. Yeah. And I think that the one thing that I, I do uh, think there's a, there's a hint at, and it's this kind of idea that people who are in some way involved in technology kind of really know what's going on in yeah. the world, which really bothers me quite a lot. <laughs> that, you know, just yeah. because so just because somebody gets lucky and sets up a, a company at the right time, yeah. and I'm not talking about Paddy Cosgrove here, mm -hmm. I'm talking about other kind of technology people, somebody who may operate in Silicon Valley mm -hmm. and has this product that thousands of people use and makes an awful lot of money or hundreds of thousands or hundreds of millions of thousands. You know, it's like, oh my God, we should really listen to this guy. And this it is worth bearing in mind mm -hmm. at that point that senior bankers used to go on the Marion the Marian Finucane show at the weekend and talk about about welfare um, <laughs> until until something massive happened and then that kind of stopped. Yeah. So, and, and it wasn't necessarily that they were bad at their jobs. In some cases, they were bad at their jobs. And it's not necessarily that technology people don't know their technology and don't understand their industries. It's that it doesn't necessarily give you particularly searing insights into other things, even if you're very bright. Mm. Um, so, as I said, most people, if you walk into a pub, will have a view about house prices and most people will have a view about uh, the media and the government whether they're right or wrong, well, who cares necessarily? People are entitled to their opinions. Mm -hmm. Their opinions aren't necessarily particularly insightful or particularly more valued than everyone else's. Mm. I, it just it fascinates me what, how people are so interested in the things that he says on, on socialists. I, I, I don't fully... I'm not it. sure. Not I'm not sure that all that many people are. I think he does. In the media, he does, he riles up journalists. By he riles up journalists, but that's not that hard. <laughs> incredibly, we're incredibly thin who benefits from him who benefits from, from him riling up journalists yeah you think he does of course he does publicity <laughs> yeah you probably by the way you are you're totally right we're so thin-skinned as journalists i mean if, if there's some if anyone suggests anything um about us or our practices we get oh my god and actually the ones who scream the most are frequently 
Actually, I'm probably getting Yeah, mind yourself there, I'd say. Part of that is that, you know, there's no, unlike professions, this is a trade where you go and do it. There's no professional yeah. body. There's there's mm. no uh, qualification. Not really. So we are relying on our, on, you know, our last story really is as yes. good as, as we are. There's nothing, mm. uh, there, there's, there's nothing else really to sort of, that we can stand over and say, you know, this is who mm. I am. All I am is a body of work mm. as journalists. The thing I, that gets me sometimes is, is like, mainstream media, we're now attacked as mainstream media from the right and the left and sort of the online, like we're tracked from sort of Twitter warriors. Oh, that's just the mainstream media who are deliberately ignoring this attacked by those on the right. Oh, the mainstream media, they're all completely liberal. Um, like there's, you know, there's no way you mentioned Marion Finucane. People forget Marion Finucane gets 400,000 listeners. Yes, it's the mainstream, media, but it's called mainstream media for a reason is that it is trusted by a lot more people than a Twitter account with 2,000 people. Anyway, I, I don't mean to, I'm very active on Twitter. I'm not saying the Twitter accounts are not uh, valid, but and that's a totally different point. On the issue of trust in Silicon Valley and whether they know what's going on, we saw big walkout, a pretty unprecedented walkout of Google workers uh, this week, and they were doing it because in protest at Google's approach to um, sexual harassment in the workplace. I thought it was fascinating because it, for, for a number of reasons. Number one, tech com big com tech companies don't tend to have unions. And to see workers doing this, uh, you know, en masse, I just, to me, it's just very interesting. You know, well, I think people have been people who work for certain companies have been told, you know, this is a mission. Yeah, you're here to change the world. We're here to make the world a better place. Mm. Again, probably bullshit, but you know that's what mm. they're told. Yeah. So they rightly they have their backs up when they see something that's clearly the contrary happening. So I think mm. you're right. There isn't unions, but there is a shared sense of this is the future, and we're walking bravely into it with our colleagues in arms there. And you know, there's also free coffee and foosball tables. Great. Mm. So I, I'm, I think you're right. It's interesting that they've done it. I think it's actually really positive that the, the employees would do that and that would happen like across a few countries as well. I, like it would be very easy to imagine that that just didn't happen as well. Mm. So I think it's it's really positive. It shows that they have that there's a social conscience lurking in there somewhere. Mm. It did look kind of organized. It almost I mean, I'm not sure to what extent the company had co-opted it by the time it actually happened. Uh, because organizing any kind of labor activity is, is difficult and, and virtually impossible if you don't have a union. Mm. Uh, and yet it was all very orderly and, and very organized and rolling from country to country. It did it did feel almost like the, the you know, the company had managed the trick of co-opting the protest against its own kind of. Um, Maybe that's because everyone uses G Suite tools. So they were all able to coordinate when the meetings that happen across multiple time zones. So, you know, Google could be a victim of its own success. Well, yeah, but I mean, the Don's point that uh, within like a heartbeat, Sundar Pichai and the rest of the Google senior management, not only did they acknowledge the protest happened, they sort of almost gave to believe that they were on their side. They did, yeah. And, and it was almost this kind of weird scenario where they're saying, we're totally with you here. You know, we absolutely go out and protest against us. Against I mean, us, the, against this thing that we did. Yeah, against this thing that we did. And, and what they did was a lot of it was over a payment given to um, a guy called Andy Rubin, who is widely credited as being the creator of Android. He allegedly got payment of $90 million, although he has subsequently come out and said that that was a grossly exaggerated figure. Um, after the company found him, uh, found against him in uh, a um, uh, in, in in a sexual harassment case, that's a public record. That's I'm not going out on a limb in, in saying that. Um, and 
Google itself said that they had terminated, I think was it 45 or 48? They'd fired 48 people without pay um, for similar reasons, based on um, sexual complaint uh, reasons. And this is what the walkout was about, about a culture of uh, sexual harassment in uh, big tech companies. Which is kind of interesting, again, because from my perspective, where big tech companies go, the rest of us follow. So I'm wondering, was this going to have a bigger resonance in yeah, ordinary? It's interesting that this is happening now. I think um, uh, in 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 Google, as you said, uh, uh, the, the, the the sort of the, the idea of kind of a mission almost to, to make mm -hmm. the world a better place. But at the same time, you know, Uber and 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 and, and other companies, HubSpot, I suppose it was a book, uh, have had. Um, Big issues in terms of culture and mm. the industrial culture, the, the corporate culture in those companies has has really been scrutinised. Once they became very big and 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 found wanting and really found wanting, it looks like Google's culture is being found wanting to, to See, a certain they're, extent. They're jacking these kids up. Like a lot of these 23, 24 year olds, they're completely jacking. They're pumping them up. If you walk into the bathroom of a lot of these tech companies, even in Dublin, you'll see Red Bulls. You'll see all sorts of caffeinated drinks. They're encouraged to to fire themselves up as, as much as possible. Then um, they all get released into some party and they're completely jacked up. And so you have this scenario where um, people just cross the line. You know, and the intensity really of the badly. hours, I mean, the hours seem to be very, very, very yeah. uh, full on from very early, big turnover of staff, yeah. uh, big, big, big offices in a lot of cases, you know. Mm. So you get the intensity of a campus life and almost. still very male dominated I know that the, the, some companies will say well we have you know 35% of our uh, overall workforce is female if you look at sort of the top of the engineering and design it's all it's it's 9 out of 10 are men 9 out of 10 and that leads to a certain kind of dynamic and you add all of the stimulants that they're given I mean there's a significant drug issue across the tech industry that is relatively unreported I wrote about it a few months ago um, in the context of an interview that Elon Musk gave where he admitted using Ambien, which is uh, a substance that helps you uh, sleep. There is a, s a substantial pharmacological issue across the tech industry in general and, and here in Dublin as well. And basically a lot of the people in, in these companies are just, they're over, they're, they're just jacked up. Mm -hmm. You know, and um, and the, the the financial rewards of of a breakthrough piece of software, a piece of technology, are astronomical. Mm -hmm. So that there's no doubt that the temptation for companies to tolerate behaviour from people who can make them billions is, is 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 there yeah. all the time. Yeah, take and a risk, be a risk, be you know, be live your best life. All of these kind of things that they're they're told. Move you fast know. and break things. What? Move, Move fast, fast and, and break, break things. things. Exactly, which is Facebook's motto. Mm -hmm. Move fast and break things. Although they, you know, see they've amended that. They amended that a few months ago. So something that makes no uh, sense. I can't even remember what it three is. Three sentences long. Yeah. yeah. Please clean up. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I have a question though. Yeah. And it like so obviously what the, the Android guy did was found mm. against him and I'm yeah. sure it was absolutely horrific. Why did they give him money? What, like, what, why the payoff? I, I don't know. The It has been speculated mm. upon that, A, because he was the creator of Android, that he might try to exercise some intellectual property rights down the line, maybe to save themselves from a lawsuit, yeah. perhaps. Yeah. I don't know. Um, but it's an excellent question. Mm. Um, particularly given the context of his And it's clearly why annoyed people. It's clearly why there was a, yep. why well, there was like a walkout. If, if a guy's found to be like doing anything yep. bad in the workplace, off you go, bye. 
Yeah. Um, it's not that complicated, but off you go. Bye. Here's 90 million. Thanks. Yeah. Sounds a Don't do it again. Yeah, well, you're not going to do it again on our watch. And there are sometimes these gray areas. Like you saw the case last week in the US with uh, Megan Kelly. Is that her name? She she went from Fox News to NBC and she had her own show. And I think she was paid 65 million a year. I think that was her salary. But she made a really bad semi-racist joke. Well, actually racist joke uh, about blackface. Uh, and she essentially was fired. But I think she's being fired with her salary, which is a very weird situation. I mean, either she's it's right that she's terminated or it's not. And if it's right that you're terminated, then why do you get rewarded? But then again, we're in like workplace and HR. You're into contract law there, really. Into contract yeah, law, yeah, and yeah. it's not always as, you know, as clear cut. Um, however, um, I think Steve is leaving us now. So thanks very much, Steve, for, for joining us today. And lastly, for just for a couple of minutes, we're going to talk about the national broadband plan, the state's uh, rural plan to connect 540,000 rural businesses and homes to fibre broadband, which is in chaos at the moment. I've been writing about this, Donald, for the I think last the official name is weeks. the much-delayed uh, national broadband The much-delayed or the in-crisis national broadband plan. There's so many weird things happening here. Um, I wrote so I suppose, I mean, the, to recap, the, the issue is yeah. that the, the tender went out mm-hmm. how many years ago? Well, the actual, well, they, the, the process started in 2012. This is when Pat Rabbit, I was there at Pat Rabbit's announcement when he announced this. They've been through s- several telecoms ministers, they've, uh, or communications ministers, they've worked, they worked out the idea of what the tender was going to be, which is a national rural broadband network um, divided into a couple of different areas and then they advertised a tender contract to supply and build this network and that's where we're in the latter stages of that now Aaron Syro as we know pulled out that left one consortium which up until two months ago was frequently called an ENET led ENET is a small telecoms company uh, then now it is Better known as the McCourt. Uh, yeah. uh, now it's referred to as Granahan McCourt. Granahan McCourt is a company um, run by a man called David McCourt, who's an Irish American businessman. And essentially, it's Granahan McCourt and 40 subcontractors, including ENET, uh, including um, Dennis O'Brien's Actavo, um, which used to be called SiteServe, uh, including uh, a very large contraction a contractor firm used by air and other big telco firms to, to build networks and that's the only game left in town as we know dennis nocton the communication minister resigned a few weeks ago because um he had had several meetings with david mccourt they were according to nocton and mccourt they were just totally casual meetings uh, you know a dinner dropping in for a few minutes at, at a dinner in, in new york S- some, something else about um, a hosted visit to doll aaron um, and other stuff like that. That's according to Dennis Knox and David McCourt. The, the, the meetings didn't all appear in the lobbying they register, didn't all appear and in the they weren't all minuted. And, so that created and it a was stink. obviously during a, a, yeah. a, a tendering process. So that created a stink, and uh, Varadkar, Tishak Lee Varadkar, essentially told uh, Dennis Knox he didn't have confidence in him, and so Dennis Knox resigned. There is now an audit report being done on it, being conducted by a man called Peter Smith, who is the official auditor to the process. That is due back in about a week's time, uh, two weeks' time. And essentially that's to assess 
whether or not the tender process has been sound yes. as best as he can. Whether or not, I, th I can't remember the jargon that they use, but it was along the lines of whether the integrity of the process had been undermined by those meetings yeah. between McCourt and Nocton. Um, but now we have a situation where other interests outside the process, including air, including which would gain substantially if this process is delayed or abandoned, uh, the opposite, main opposition party, Fianna Fáil, is essentially coming out and saying that the, uh, the process should be switched to a direct build situation where the government goes to somebody like Board Namona or the ESB and says, can you just build this out and we'll oversee it? Because uh, obviously we privatised the telecoms company many, many years ago. Yeah. And the 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 commercial uh, reality is that the, the national broadband plan or this scheme can't be delivered on a commercial basis. That's worth no. saying. This is oh, this can only be done with a government subsidy or only, a, yeah. fully subsidised or to, to what extent subsidised by the government. Um, otherwise, it won't happen. So no commercial operator is going to come in and connect these 600,000 nope. um, homes hope. and businesses because they'll never make any money. No. So that leaves you with either uh, subsidised or the option of tendering for mm -hmm. a subsidised scheme or doing it yourself mm -hmm. as a government. Doing it yourself as a government, you're going to start running into EU rules around state Big aid. As well. That's the reason they went through the state the through the tendering process, and also because they didn't want to be in a situation where a bunch of amateurs in 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 government were were effectively trying to build uh, a telecoms network, which is very very uh, tricky, complicated uh, process, and it's much easier to screw things up if you tender out and get professionals to submit plans and detailed design plans on how they're going to do it and then oversee that, that's a much easier way of building it. That's presumably why Air and Syro and others were interested in the first place before they pulled out. Um, there's a few interesting things with this though. Uh, I've started to notice uh, a definitely a tone at the top of government and also among some other commentators along the lines of we should halt this whole process, not necessarily because we think it might be polluted within appropriate meetings, but because, you know, there just may be uh, a better way of doing it. Um, and there may be a better way of doing it. But if you live in one of those, if you're one of those million people who lives in those areas, I, I'll be honest with you, right now you're thinking to yourself, I don't give a good goddamn about your, your processes. I, I, I literally, like... I have to go to drive into town to a library to send an email. There is no way my kid's staying in my town. There's no way. They are leaving because there's no chance of company here setting up here with crap broadband. There's no chance that they can study here. Um, and they're listening to these largely urban-based pundits. And by the way, I'm an urban-based pundit. You know, I'm one of them. They're listening to the urban-based pundits. And for the first time ever, an urban communications minister, Richard Bruton, and an urban Taoiseach, Leo Radker, allied with an urban uh, minister of finance, Pascal Donoghue, all three of which we live within five miles of one another. Not there, None of their constituents are affected by this at all. And the only reason I said that sounds like a real cynical thing to say, but in Ireland, local politics is important in how you get elected. It really is. Um, and this is the first time we've ever had pretty much an entire Dublin-based cabal in charge uh, of the whole process. 
And my feeling is that they're just, they, yes, they say it's important and yes, it's a key priority to government. That's all they'll say. The, I don't feel the urgency anymore coming from them on it. And I that do it worry slips about down the priority list and it slips down, slips down the priority list. list. And this is a process that's been underway since 2012. Yeah. It doesn't look like those million people are going to have uh, broadband delivered under this plan in 2022, does it? Uh, I, no, it does not. And I mean, I've, I mean, I, like I've, I've pushed the government on this last uh, week uh, to try and give an exact time frame, an updated time frame. They won't do it. They had written in the program for government that uh, the first homes would be connected, actual have their broadband uh, sometime next year. Even if it was the end of 2019, they've now. They now won't comment on it. They're, they're now essentially withdrawn from that position. And the cliche on this was that it, it, national broadband is as important in the 21st century mm. as rural electrification was mm. in the 20th century. Uh, I think the thing that gets forgotten with that is that rural electrification took about 70 years to actually get right. from 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 Arden across all the way around the country. Um, but the, the 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 basis of the 20 the Ireland 2040 plan that. You know, spatial mm-hmm. uh, planning and, and national development and capital spending is really structured around the availability of modern infrastructure everywhere in the right. country. So it does feel like it, that 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 train apparently has left the station. Mm-hmm. If it's left the station with, you know, it's going to run out of rail at some point, that that's storing up all sorts of trouble down, down the road. We know that there's a housing crisis in Dublin, partly because the Dublin element of the economy is, 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 yeah. has outgrown the rest of the country. If you were an international business, why would you go, let, not an international business, let's say you're a small Irish business and you're from, you know, Templemore or Roscommon. Why the hell would you stay there. Why would you do? Why wouldn't you go to Dublin or Galway or Cork or Limerick? And worse, you may be in Templemore and have fast broadband because you happen to be one of the places yeah. in the country that does have very yeah. fast broadband. Or or, or look, at the, draw, look at the draw. Look at the draw. The next town over yeah. may be the one that has it and you've got effectively to move. Also, by the way, tw- you mentioned 24. 24? 2040? Are we really even saying the words 20? Like, I don't believe that uh, senior ministers who should know better. I don't believe they regard this as important as electrification. I don't believe that most people who live in Dublin believe that it's an important as, uh, issue as electrification because they have it. I, unless they're going to their holiday homes or unless they have cousins who live you know, down the country, I don't think they believe it's, it's that important. I'm already fielding a lot of um, commentary on Twitter and other social media from people who are starting to say, well, look, it's ridiculous. Those people chose to live in ribbon developments out in the middle of nowhere. They can't expect to have A, B and C. I mean, you could argue that point. You could definitely argue that point. I've, I've seen other people write columns along those lines. But that is a decision we made six years ago. There's a principle involved here, which is, is this in general a national utility that's going to, that's going to be paid for out of capital, uh, national capital or not? You could argue that it shouldn't be, but I thought we had that argument. I thought we had that debate and that the, dis- the discussion, the, the, the principle was arrived at that we were going to have, you know, a rural, a, a, a fibre network throughout the country to create a level playing, a standardised playing field, no matter where you lived. To start saying now at this point, well, the principle's wrong anyway. And these people ne- shouldn't necessarily have roads. Yeah, because if you're going to apply that principle, you're absolutely. not. You're not you're, you know, you're not wh- wh- why should you have? Um, nobody's saying that you should have the M50 or the you know uh, necessarily um, in you know rural Mayo. But you tell people who live in a town in rural Mayo that they shouldn't have 
some sort of a decent road without potholes? I mean, that's just ridiculous. Now, that's a view. I mean, I'm obviously, I have kind of become a believer in this idea of broadband uh, availability uh, around the country everywhere. But I don't think, I, I can definitely feel a cooling of interest and enthusiasm at, at the top uh, for this. And I have to say, I, I have to say there are, I think that is being shared by a lot of other interests in other media companies as well who don't necessarily have the same interest in uh, a rural Life beyond the M50. I'm sure that's I'm sure that's terribly uncharitable, uh, Adrian. I'm sure all of the media cares about life beyond the M50. I think they do in a kind of a, just a general and theoretical format. But I, I think if there was, if for some reason, um, uh, ver- there was a complete outage of air and Virgin UPC in a large area of Dublin, say of South Dublin, and there was no broadband and there was going to be no broadband for the next six to 12 months in those areas. There is absolutely no way that Minister Richard Bruton and Taoiseach Leo Varadkar would be sitting and saying, well, we're going to have an audit report. And then, I don't know, we might, we might be talking 2021. Heaven and earth would be moved Heaven to and get earth, it back. Right. Um, now, I know this is starting to sound like a local radio station and, the, you know, them people up in Dublin are all terrible. And I, I don't mean to, to, to sound like that, but there is a very, very real uh, cause for concern here. I think there's I, definitely a danger there, particularly because, you know, what was a shiny, wonderful, big spend project is now a bit tainted politically, mm. uh, a good bit tainted politically, if, you know, given that the, a minister has, has, has gone over it, is up in the air, is not quite settled and is... It, is it famously success as many fathers mm. and failure as an orphan. It's starting to look like a bit of an orphan project yep. and is definitely in danger of being cut adrift. Mm. Mm-hmm. I, I couldn't agree more. And to be fair to Richard Bruton, um, he is regarded as a capable minister. He's, he has lots of experience. He knows how things work. He knows how to get things done. No comment at all on his ability or his competence. He is a very competent uh, minister. But you're right. He takes his tone and his guidance from the top and I, if you were to ask what is more important to Taoiseach Leo Varadkar that the political uh, temperature on this goes down or that this actually gets delivered uh, in expedited really really quickly I think he would choose the former rather than the latter I think with Dennis Nocton although he was naive definitely he seemed to have much more of a a sense that this was actually a real urgent thing for the million people who live without it. And in a competition between that and the political heat, it was a much more balanced thing. He, he was, I think he was willing to risk some political... Now, I'm not suggesting... It's not political heat for him in, in Roscommon, of course. So, that, I mean, that's and a that is point. But that brings it back to the local issue of who, who, who elects you. Anyway, listen, this thing is going to run on for uh, a long, long time. Um, and but, if there are any cabinet ministers uh, listening, we'd love to... Yeah, hear from you on this. Come on in. Yeah, yeah. We have and lots of questions. And, yeah, and we'd also love to hear you talk a little bit of detail and not just give soft soap interviews. But anyway, that's a different um, kettle fish. I'd like to thank Donald O'Donovan, the business editor of the Irish Independent, who's still here with me earlier, to Michael Cogley, the business correspondent of the Sunday Independent, and also to Steve Dempsey, his head of product with Independent News and Media. Don't forget that this podcast was brought to you in association with PWC. But for me, Adrian Weckler, the tech editor of the Irish and Sunday Independent, bye-bye and talk to you next week.